0: This week on Friday, uh, five people from our congregation will be going to Nigeria. They'll be leaving from the Philadelphia airport to go to Nigeria. They'll be there for uh, about 18 or 19 days. I'm going to ask those five people to come forward, uh, Scott Harrison, Lauren Meck, Aaron Krause, Justin Hendricks, and uh, Jimmy Stewart. And if you want to come forward with me here, you can join me right up here on the platform if you want to. Uh, They're heading to Nigeria. They'll be there for 18 or 19 days. They're going to be doing ministry there, uh, ministry among orphans. They're going to be doing sports ministry, which is the reason they didn't invite me. They'll also be doing uh, work with uh, Christian-Muslim dialogue in that country that is uh, about 50-50, Christians and Muslims. Uh, And they'll be uh, leaving Friday, and we're going to pray for them this morning. We have a number of people this summer serving in ministries. Heather Miller this morning is still in China. She'll be returning on Friday, I believe, and uh, they'll be leaving. So let's pray for them together this morning, shall we? Father, we come before you today, and we pray for these uh, young men and women, and we do so not, because we're not just concerned about our babies, but we are concerned about uh, the little ones uh, around the world, and they're going, Father, to demonstrate love and compassion to those who are often forgotten. God, we pray for them that you would infuse them with uh, grace and strength, uh, energy beyond what they have known. Father, may they serve knowing that they're doing so through the strength that you provide, that you might receive glory and honor through what they do. Father, they're going to a a place in the world uh, that has uh, recently been uh, noted for uh, violence violence between uh, followers of Islam and uh, followers of, of Christ and, and uh, uh, brutal persecution and, and attacks at times. Father, we are not afraid because we believe that the safest place in the world is at the center of your will. So we pray that as they go, uh, you might protect them and, and watch over them. Our, our confidence and our hope is in you. Thank you for the missionaries that they will be serving with and that they will be serving while they're there. Use uh, the people from these men and women from our congregation to, to encourage those missionaries that are serving there in Nigeria. Would you see fit, Father, we, p- we pray, to bring children into the kingdom of God through the testimony of Scott and Aaron and Lauren and Justin and Jimmy. Glorify your name, we pray. We also think this morning as, as we're, we're praying of our uh, uh, beloved ones, the, the Hubers and the Mulders today, mourning the loss of Mike. Father, we pray for Kathy. She was crying out to you yesterday for strength and help. You answer the call of the brokenhearted, so we pray that you would draw near to her and that she would today know your presence. Give Todd and Melissa wisdom and grace as they seek to care for Melissa's mom through this uh, what will be uh, the hardest few weeks of her life sustain her we pray glorify your name as uh, the uh, as their family gathers sometime this week uh, to remember Mike may Jesus Christ be eminent and adored even in that uh, service of grief we pray do that we ask all these things in Jesus name My wife and I are having a fight. Uh, not really a fight, it's more like a disagreement that has lasted for two or three months. It's, it's an issue that we haven't yet solved and it, it comes up every now and then in, in wonderful fireworks and glory. Um, we're fighting about the menu at our house. Uh, as, as many of you know, uh, Kathy works three days a week in the evening. Her shift starts at 3 o'clock, and from 3 o'clock on, I am on duty, uh, and I am head chef at home. Uh, she plans the menu. She buys the food. I'm responsible to cook the food. Um, I used to cook more often when we were first married, once or twice a week, uh, perhaps, but I, I am out of practice, and I have a few meals that I can make, uh, but they don't appear very often on the menu. Uh, Kathy, at the same time here, is trying to gather together a collection of recipes that she can just rotate through uh, over the month. Uh, while she's searching, uh, we, I cook a lot of strange, different things. I have a strong preference for what I cook. I don't like to cook new things, and I don't like to cook hard things. And our main difficulty in our home in this discussion is that her idea of easy and my idea of easy are not the same. So, the most recent manifestation of this disagreement came uh, recently. I was supposed to make something called Cuban chicken pizza. <laughs> I knew immediately that I had a problem because in the list of ingredients it says two cups of ch- cooked chicken breast. I hate it when recipes do that. That is a sham. It's a convenient way to make it look like there's less steps in the recipe and less ingredients. But nobody keeps two cups of cubed chicken around that they can use for a recipe. This is like advertising how to build a house in four easy steps. And the first thing on the list of uh, materials you need is a graded lawn with a poured basement. All right, nobody has a graded lawn and a poured basement just sitting around wondering, I need three more steps to build a house. I wonder who can help me with that. So actually the first step in this recipe was finding the chicken, and cooking the chicken. That's recipe fraud, I think. Now, the first written step on the ingredient, the recipe list told me to bake tortillas in the oven for 10 minutes at 350 degrees. I believe in literal interpretation. I believe in literal interpretation of the Bible. I believe in literal interpretation of recipes. So I put the tortillas in for 10 minutes, three pans it took me to fit them all in the oven, they came out 10 minutes later blackened Frisbees. <laughs> Maybe they meant 350 degrees in something other than Fahrenheit. I do not know. Now, at this point in time, my wife could say she never has, to her credit, said this. But easily she could say, any fool would know you take them out when you smell smoke. Okay, she could say that. I say, no, no, not this fool. <laughs> I believe in literal interpretation. Another shameful part of this recipe is that it was called pizza. Pizza. Who puts pizza on a tortilla? No self-respecting pizza would need to be caught near a tortilla. Now the next step told me to put the corn in a frying pan on the oven and char it. Char is not a word found in the easy-to-cook recipe lexicon. I know how to bake, fry, boil, saute, roast, brose, and toast, but not char. The recipe said it would take one minute. I say, no, no. (laughs) Literal interpretation. This is not an inerrant recipe. I added uh, the cooked chicken to the pan. I added the black beans to the pan, spices, garlic. I was supposed to add each one and heat it for a specific amount of time. Two minutes for this, one minute for this, 37 seconds. Do you know how hard that is for a literalist when it comes to cooking? You can't watch your watch, stir the stuff, and pour the stuff in at the same time. Uh, I placed the mixture on the tortillas, and I added the cheese. It was supposed to be one-third of a cup, but I'm not a literalist when it comes to cheese. So I baked it for three minutes. I brought it out. I even added the fresh cilantro that I cut in a cup with a pair of kitchen scissors. And when I was finished, it looked nothing like the picture, and it tasted like the paper on which the recipe was printed. I complained to my wife. She said, I thought that was easy. I said it was nothing like anything that I like to cook, and I was angry because I felt like we've had this conversation before. And in the midst of my anger over this issue, I come according to the schedule that I made as we move through the book of Ephesians, a verse in the Bible that says, Get rid of all bitterness, anger, rage, brawling, slander. Along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, Forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I know our menu fights are not a huge issue, but I also know that some of you are here this morning and you have fights that you're not sure you're going to make it through. Surely, though, you can still see how this verse takes some of the fire out of my fight. Now, when Paul turned his attention to applying the truths of the gospel that he has unfolded in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, he repeats the word in chapters four through six, walk, the word walk. It's actually translated live in the New International Translation. And this word walk or live or conduct yourself is kind of a a bookmark, uh, as as Paul goes through, kind of um, section dividers. In chapter four, he says walk in unity. We, We talked about that for a long time. Then in, in chapter 17, uh, verse 17 of chapter 4, he, he says, walk in holiness. Next week we're going to start a section of scripture that says, walk in love. But we've been talking about walking in, in holiness these, these days. The gospel of the Lord Jesus is supposed to penetrate into our souls so deeply that it changes us. There's the old life that we walk away from and the new life that we embrace We talked about the old ways of stealing and the new ways of working hard so that you can give generously. We talked about the old way of lying and the new way of telling the truth. We talked about the old way of sinful, destructive anger and and the new way of anger that, that serves. The old way of rotten words and the new way of words that give grace. Before he closes this section in chapter 4, Paul returns again to the issue of anger. I'd love for you to take your Bibles, if you haven't already, and turn me really to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 31. I want to direct your attention there this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, grab one from the pew ahead of you. In fact, if you don't have a Bible at all, you can take that Bible as a gift from us. We'd love for you to walk out with a copy of God's Word if, if you don't have one. Also, if, if you're interested, inside the bulletin you should find a um, blue sheet of paper and there's a spot for you to take notes if, if you want to. Um, Paul here in verses 31 and 32 returns to anger again. He spoke about the positive side of anger, but now he comes to its negative counterpart. And if you have any doubt that the Apostle Paul intends all of these changes from the old to the new to be empowered by the gospel, he tells us very specifically in verse 32 that the reason that we have these new behaviors is because we have received grace from God through Jesus Christ. Now, I want to look at verses 31 and 32, and what I want to do this morning is I want to share with you two things that every family needs. Two things that every family needs. Now, you who have been around here for a while are astute listeners of, of sermons, and you know that I could easily cast this differently. I, I could talk about two things every church needs, or two things every business needs, or two things every Rotary Club needs. But it's Mother's Day, and we had these wonderful babies, so today we're going to talk about two things every family needs. And without too much effort, I'm sure you could think about how these things need are needed in your life, too. Here's number one. Every family needs a more effective way to eliminate anger, a more effective way to eliminate anger. That's the focus of verse 31. Uh, Paul has addressed anger in verse 26, and a few weeks ago Steve Wilson spoke about it, and there the emphasis was more on positive anger. What is anger supposed to do? Anger is an emotion, a physical response given by God to empower us and energize us to defend the defenseless and to uh, 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 depose the oppressor. The problem is we struggle, don't we? We struggle with being angry at the right time, with the right person, for the right reason, in the right way. If it weren't for those things, I'd have this down, right? Hmm. Uh, And so Paul, because he knows this, he returns to anger and he talks about destructive anger in these verses that are before us. In verse 31, he mentions six different forms of anger, and, and they really overlap. This is Paul's practice. When Paul wanted you to get a big idea of something, he would often talk, uh, he would pile synonyms on top of one another. It would be as if you went to the paint store and you said, I really like blue, so show me everything you have in navy, topaz, azure, cobalt, cobalt cerulean, ultramarine, teal, and cyan. Every shade of blue you got, bring it here. And now Paul, by using these words, he says every form of anger, every manifestation, every way it shows up in in any of your life, think about those things. That's why he uses all these words. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice. Uh, They're synonyms, but there's subtle differences between them. Um, Bitterness has to do with your attitude. It's, it's It's a settled anger. It's an anger that's stuck in the past. It's an anger that brings past insults and problems into the present. Those who like, uh, who delve in bitterness uh, uh, use the broom to sweep the dust and dirt of yesterday and bring it into the dustpan of today. They like to just bring things in that have happened in the past and accumulate them and hold on to them. You are dealing with a bitter person if that person says to you, you always, or when are you going to stop? Rage and anger are, are the clearest um, synonyms in this passage. Brawling, now brawling makes me think of fistfights a, a little bit more, but that's not the, the, emphasis, the emphasis of the word braw, brawling is on a war of words, shouting. Uh, brawling is bitterness with a megaphone. Uh, Maybe we're increasing in in intensity here as we move to brawling. Slander is a word for name-calling, belittling. I bet at your house you have words that are not acceptable to say. You probably in your house have a PG, at least, uh, vocabulary. But even without four-letter words, little kids can slander one another, can't they? Even if they have to make up words to call one another, you toilet face or something like that, you know, they make words up and they can slander one another. Through his word here, though, our Lord is calling us to eliminate these destructive forms of anger in every way from your life, in every way that they show up as, as parents. Your responsibility is to confront these attitudes in your children. See, one of the reasons that Paul warns us against anger so clearly is not just because it's destructive or manifold, but because anger is one of the clearest signs of self-love. It's one of the clearest signs of idolatry. It's one of the signs that I take my agenda more seriously than anything else, in fact, more seriously than you. Paul Tripp uh, said in an article that I read recently, That praying the phrase Jesus taught us to, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, is is one of the most dangerous ways we can pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Not the words, but, but the meaning. See, the truth of that phrase is that we all have to, when we say it, confront the fact that we are committed not naturally to Christ's kingdom, but to our kingdom and our will. Uh, This is how, how Paul Tripp said it. I'm going to quote from him. I must admit it that I don't always greet God's kingdom with delight. There are things that I want in my life, and I not only want them, but I know how, when, and where I want them. I want my life to be comfortable. I want my schedule to be unobstructed and predictable. I want the people around me to esteem and appreciate me. I want control over the situations and relationships in my life. I want people to affirm my opinions and follow my lead. I want the pleasures that I find entertaining to be available to me. I want the ministry initiatives I direct to be well-received and successful. I want my children to appreciate that they have been blessed with me as their father. I want my wife to be a joyful and committed supporter of my dreams. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to live without I don't want to have to deal with personal defeat or ministry failure. What I'm saying is that I want my kingdom to come and I want my will to be done. Every parent, every child confronts this exact same reality. When I get angry at my kids, it is not often that I'm angry because they've broken one of God's laws and and I'm upset about the unholiness. When I get angry at my kids, it's not often because I feel for the one who's been kicked or hit or called something. When I get angry with my kids, it's, it's, uh, often it comes because when they disobey or when they fight, it interrupts my agenda and it makes me work harder. Until you get to the root of anger, which is your kingdom and your will, you're not really dealing with anger. See, your kids don't need more than, they need more than just a new method for sharing their toys, or they need more than just a new strategy for uh, dealing with uh, uh, the bicycles in the garage, or they need, a, they need more than just a new way to determine who gets to pick what on television. They need to understand that their anger is born from self-centered idolatry. Your anger is one of the clearest signs of the reality in the Bible that we are alienated from God because we've chosen to worship and serve created things, usually ourselves, rather than our creator. One of my goals is to try to communicate this more effectively to my children. When I uh, discipline my kids, I try to explain the gospel to them. Um... I I try to tell them that I'm disciplining them because I love them and because God has charged me with the responsibility of teaching them in this world that there are consequences for disobedience. And I talk about how Christ is the one who paid the ultimate consequence for our disobedience to God, but I want to talk to them more effectively about their anger. The reason your sister, the reason your brother makes you so mad is because they're getting in the way of what you want. But in the world that God made, he's the one who has ultimate control of your life. And when you understand that God is the one who has ultimate control of your life, it changes what you want and how you want it and what you do to get it. Every family needs a more effective way to eliminate anger. Here's a second thing that every family needs. Every family needs an infusion of grace. Every family needs an infusion of grace. And the contrast to anger that he mentions here in verse 32 comes in three words that he mentions. Kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Kindness is a word that we're familiar with in the New Testament. Uh, God has been kind to us, Paul wrote in Romans. Well, I think one of the most evocative ways that kindness is used in the Bible is in Matthew 11:30, where Jesus says that we are to take his yoke upon ourselves because it is easy. That's the word kind. Jesus' yoke is kind. One of the ways that you can think about kindness is that kindness involves lifting others' burdens. In the contrast to the yoke that we were bearing before Christ, Jesus' yoke is easy and it's light. Kindness means that you take steps to make others' lives easier. You, you lift burdens. Everybody bears burdens. Kindness is lifting those burdens. Challenge yourself. Challenge your kids to be burden lifters. It's one of the ways that you can respond when you ask your kids to put away toys or pick up clothing or fetch supplies that another child touched or played with or needs and and they look at you and they say, that's not mine or I didn't touch it or I wasn't playing with that. Instead of looking at them and saying, do you know what would happen in this house if I only touched the things that I ever touched? You'd be buried under your own stuff. Instead of saying that, It would be sweetness to them to say, in our family, we lift burdens. It would be kind for you to help your brother, your sister out. God has been kind to us. We lift burdens in our family. With that kindness comes compassion, tenderheartedness, sympathy, love for one another, even the frustrating, annoying, difficult members of the family. And then he mentions here forgiveness. Forgiveness forgiving one another. It's good news that Paul thinks that the church in Ephesus needs forgiveness. We talked about this a little bit with stealing. Uh, this, this church founded by the apostle Paul, he knew that they would offend one another to the extent that they needed forgiveness. He, he knew that in that church, shouldn't they be better than that? In this church, there would be Outbursts of anger and rage and brawling and and he knew they would needed needed forgiveness If your family needs forgiveness You're you're more normal than you think (laughs) I read ephesians. We seem more and more normal and biblical all the time He commends forgiveness Now notice here, I chose the word infusion. You need an infusion of grace. And I chose that word on purpose. It's a good word because it suggests that these virtues are going to come from the outside in. We can do rage and anger and brawling. I got that down. I can do that all by myself. It comes naturally. But kindness and compassion and forgiveness comes from outside. And where does it come from? Paul tells us. Verse 32, just as, it's a beautiful words in this verse, just as in Christ, God forgave you. The model, the rationale, the the motivation for our forgiveness is the forgiveness that we have received from Jesus Christ. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once preached a sermon called Forgiveness Made Easy. (laughs) Great title, right? (laughs) Forgiveness made, I'm going to read a little bit of you. It's a a paragraph or two. I'm going to try to read it, though I'm sure I will not read it as well as Charles Spurgeon originally preached it. Listen, if anyone here who is a Christian finds a difficulty in forgiveness, I'm going to give him three words which will help him wonderfully. I would put them into the good man's mouth. I gave them to you just now and prayed you to get the sweetness of them. Here they are again for Christ's sake. Can you not forgive an offender on that ground? Ah, the girl has acted very shamefully and you, her father, have said some strong things, but I beg you to forgive her for Christ's sake. Cannot you do it with that motive? It is true that your son has behaved very wrongly and nothing hurts a father's heart more than the wicked conduct of a son. You did, in a fit of anger, say a very stern thing and deny him your house forever. I entreat you to eat your words up for Christ's sake. Sometimes when I have been pleading a case like that, the person I have been persuading has kindly said, I will do it for you, sir. I have said, I will thank you if you will do it at all. But I would rather you have, would have said you would do it for my master, for what a blessed master he has been to you. Do it for his sake. I may be speaking very plainly home to some of you. I hope I am. If there be any of you who have gotten to a bad state of heart and have said you will never forgive a rebellious son, do not say so again till you have looked at the matter for Christ's sake. Not for the boy's sake, not for your neighbor's sake who has offended you, not for any other reason do I urge you to mercy, but for Christ's sake. Come, you two brothers who have fallen out, love each other for Christ's sake sake. Come, you two sisters. Come, you two friends who have been alienated. Get together directly and end all of your ill feeling for Christ's sake. You must not keep a drop of malice in your soul for Christ's sake. Oh, the charming word, how it melts us. And as it melts, it seems to leave no trace of anger behind it. For Christ's sake, our love suffers long and never fails I know these issues of forgiveness, it's, it's complicated, and we talk about it a lot. But it, at its heart, it means that when it comes to the cost of bearing a broken relationship, you, the forgiver, will bear those costs. Someone always suffers when it comes to fixing a broken relationship. Someone always bears pain that they don't meet out in revenge or justice. Someone always pays the cost for repairing a broken relationship. And if you're a Christian, you can bear that pain. Why? Because it's exactly what Christ did for us. We were alienated. We were separated from God because of our sin. But God himself and the person of his son bore the penalty associated with that broken relationship. By his death on the cross, he bore the enmity. He suffered the punishment. He, he paid the price to set things right And and he invites all to come to him in dependent faith and find forgiveness and life on the basis of what he has done. Tim Keller said, On the cross, Jesus was stripped naked of his robe and dignity so that we could be clothed with a dignity and standing we don't deserve. On the cross, Jesus was treated as an outcast so that we could be brought into God's family freely by grace. There Jesus drank the cup of eternal justice so that we might have the cup of the Father's joy. There was no other way for the Heavenly Father to bring us in except at the expense of His beloved Son. When that sinks down into your heart, deep into your heart, when you get it, it sets you free to show kindness and compassion and to forgive others. Remind yourself daily of this. Remind your children of this grace. Model it for them. Model it to them. And you will have a grace-infused home, which is what your family desperately needs. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we come before you this morning, and there's...